On today's show, a lot of heartburn over the proposed food tax increase. And the question, censure over impeachment. Representative Ben McAdams is on the censure train. Tune in Monday through Thursday, 9 to 11 for Dave and Dijanovic. I'm Scott Trout, CEO of the domestic litigation firm Cordell & Cordell. We help men deal with the life changes triggered by divorce, such as child custody and property division, among many others. But life changes also occur after divorce. These changes can make parts of your existing court order irrelevant or harder to follow. If you feel a modification to your court orders might be necessary, talk to us at Cordell & Cordell. We're a partner men can count on. Contact CordellCordell.com, 1065 East Hillsdale Boulevard, Suite 310, Foster City, California, 94404. Welcome to Innovation and Leadership. I'm Jess Larson. Today on the show, I've got Art Burns. It goes back to the strategic aspect of what are you trying to do. Um, so, you know, if you if you think about most traditional companies, they don't turn inventory very much, for example. And, you know, if you start removing the waste, one of the biggest wastes you have is inventory. And if you then start to reinvest that inventory in new products and new equipment or whatever you need to grow the business, Art, thanks for making time. Oh, you're welcome. Glad to be here. Um, so for pe- people who haven't read your book, The Lean Turnaround, or they, they don't know about uh, your background in the space, can you give us kind of the 30-second the elevator pitch from from GE to to all the uh, the kind of exciting things you did at Wiremold and, and now in the investment space? Sure. Uh, well, I, my uh, first introduction to Lean came uh, right after my first general manager job at the General Electric Company. I was the uh, head of the uh, high-intensity and coarse lamp department in the lighting business group at GE. And we the lighting business group was a pretty big group, and we had companies that made final products, and I made high-intensity quartz lamps, the lamps that you see on the streetlights and high bay buildings, that kind of thing. And But also in the group, we had um, businesses that made the components that went into those products. And one of my main component suppliers made arc tubes, quartz arc tubes that we use to make use our high-intensity quartz lamps. And we just started a simple Kanban system between the two businesses. They were about 45 minutes apart. And we just we, we bought a little truck and we put Kanban cards on every box of uh, arc tubes. And when the truck would come to my factory in the morning, we would give them the Kanban cards from the product we used the day before. And the next day they would bring them back. And, you know, my inventory went from 42 days and to three. And his inventory went from probably 40, 50 or 60 days down to nothing. Uh, but nobody in GE at that time really cared too much about uh, inventory or cash flow, they just care about make the month. But as we as we uh, looked at this, I said, gee, you know, it's nice that inventory came down, but gee, look at these other side benefits. My productivity went up, my uh, floor space went was freed up and was much cleaner, uh, quality got better, customer service was better, and my, my uh, employees were not only safer, but they were much happier. And so I said, gee, you know, However, I have to learn more about this because any businesses I run from now on, I want to use this approach. So after I left uh, GE, I became a group executive at the Danaher Corporation. Danaher at that time was much smaller. We were only about a billion in size. I had half the companies, and we had another group executive had the other half. And we started uh, Lean. uh, It wasn't called Lean then. It was called Just in Time in one of uh, my companies called Jake Break. And then we came across some, we created, we created a couple of cells 
And then we came across a, a small Japanese consulting firm, which is three people. But these three people had spent their whole career with Toyota. They had spent like about 10 years working for uh, Taiichi Ono, who was sort of the father of the Toyota production system. And then he sort of pushed them out into creating their own consulting firm. So we were lucky enough to have them come and help us. And we were their only client in the U.S. for about four years. And so we just learned everything that they could teach us as fast as we could. And uh, Danaher, of course, went on to move that into the what's now called the Danaher Business System. It's gone from you know, a billion at that time to about 20 billion today. And it's probably the most successful industrial conglomerate that's ever, ever been. Um, when I left Danaher, uh, I went to be the CEO of a company called the Wire Mole Company. It's a privately held company, West Hartford, Connecticut. Pretty mundane products. We made raceway and fittings for the electrical industry. Um, we didn't have much of any growth, and earnings had dropped about um, 80% in the two years before I got there. So we just implemented a, a very aggressive lean program, and over the course of nine years, um, we quadrupled the size of the business. We increased our gross margin by 13 points. And at the end of the day, we increased enterprise value by 2,500% when we sold the company. So that was a lot of fun, and we learned a lot along the way. And uh, so after we sold the company, I retired. And, and then I flunked retirement after a couple of days, and I, I joined a private equity firm in Boston and um, was on a bunch of boards and was chairman of about four of their portfolio companies. And we implemented lean in all of those as well. So I've implemented Lean in, in lots of just different kinds of companies, uh, different kinds of products. Uh, I've, I've helped a hospital uh, do it. I've worked in, helped an insurance company that I was on the board of directors do some. So I, I've had a pretty broad experience in this stuff and I know that it applies anywhere. Yeah, and I think when we met at the Shingo event, um, the thing that impressed me so much is there's so many folks that you know, whether they call it continuous improvement or enterprise excellence or, or the different names for this, so often it's like gets relegated to the engineers and operations rather than really like CEO thinking and the strategy for the for the whole enterprise to be enterprise excellence instead of just in the operations department, the engineers getting people to do it. Can you talk right. about why you feel like that was such an advantage? Well, I, I don't think it was an advantage. I think it's a tragedy. <laughs> That that's the way people think about it because most people do think about it just that way. They look at lean as some sort of cost reduction program or some manufacturing thing or some sort of toolkit that helps you to reduce headcount. And as a result of that, they think of it in terms of, you know, we'll just delegate that down to the manufacturing guy and let them cut the cost and we'll continue to do all the batch things that we've done forever every place else. And of course, that'll never work because you know, what you're doing in sales has a huge impact on on uh, what you're doing every place else and how you do your financial numbers has a huge impact on what you do. And so you wind up kind of fighting yourself when you do that. And, and that's, I think, why most, and, and of course, if you call it a manufacturing thing, it, it eliminates, you know, a lot of the companies that are in other businesses like hospitals or, or service companies, that kind of thing, insurance companies, um, banks, et cetera, they say, well, it's not for me. We're not a manufacturing company. So uh, you take something that's an incredible weapon for any kind of company and you limit it in, in very severe ways by thinking of it as just a cost reduction tool. Yeah. 
Can you talk about this this approach? I mean, the, the Shingo Institute is obviously very focused on this becoming like a cultural thing of the way things are done around here, um, right. rather than just a set of tools. And I know you feel very similar to that. Can you can you talk about how this is a this is a people thing, not a tools thing? Well, it's really I, I look at it as a strategic thing, and and uh, you know if you think of it, what what are you trying to do with this? And and I I look at it from the point of view that first of all you're running a business and when you think about what what's a business really it's nothing but a bunch of people and a bunch of processes trying to deliver value to a set of customers and that's true for any kind of business that there is just people and processes trying to deliver value and with lean what we're trying to do is focus on removing the waste from the processes so that we can deliver that value and the way that you're going to do that is to is through your people and and so lean really at the end of the day is all about people and about learning uh and it's i see it as a tremendous strategic weapon but unless you think of it as a strategic weapon you're almost always going to do the wrong thing you're going to try and make it a cost reduction program and you'll do a few things and then pretty soon you'll drift off into some other direction and that's what we see repeated over and over and over it's hard to get CEOs' attention on this because, again, they think it's a cost reduction thing, and so it doesn't really deserve their attention. Uh, but, you know, from the very first uh, time that we started to work with the Japanese consultants, this was back in 1987, myself and a guy named George Koenensaker, who who ran the, uh, the, the the Jake Break business that I was, was part of my business group at Danaher, you know, we, we just thought this was the biggest strategic weapon we've ever seen before. Because if you can eliminate waste, one of the things that you do is you, you shorten the time it takes to do anything. So as an example, if, if you've always had a six-week lead time and everybody in your industry has a six-week lead time, and by eliminating waste in a lot of your processes, all of a sudden you have a two-day lead time, you don't have just a cost advantage, you have a tremendous strategic advantage. Um, you're going to gain market share. You're going to gain it at full price, um, and and there's not much your competition can do about that. But unfortunately, most people, it's, it's still even today, it's hard to get people to think of it that way. Think about the strategic aspects of of what this is all about. Yeah, you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of folks that would love a 100% increase in uh, in enterprise value. You know, double the value of a company. But you think about 2,500% increase. Um, can you talk about this methodology of, you know, you free up under, you free up resources because you know you're you're really focused on doing things that add value to the customer, and then rather than lay people off, use those people to grow the business. Can you talk about your approach there? Well, the, I mean, it's it, it's it goes back to the strategic aspect of what are you trying to do. Um, so, you know, if you if you think about most traditional companies, they don't turn inventory very much, for example. And, you know, if you start removing the waste, one of the biggest wastes you have is inventory. And if you then start to reinvest that inventory in new products and new equipment or whatever you need to grow the business, and you start to bring your lead times down from from weeks to days, um, you're going to start to get a lot of growth. So even though you're going to get a lot of productivity gains from re from removing the waste, you're going to need all those people to grow the business. So we always looked at it as, you know, we, we were trying to double the size of the business with the same people through uh, just the focus, constant focus all the time on removing the waste. 
And we were able to do that pretty dramatically at Wiremole. We, we grew the business by four times. Uh, the original company in Danaher, Jake Brake, went from something like 65 million in sales. Ten years later, they were 225 million in sales. Same people, same square footage and floor space. So I've seen this happen over and over and over. Uh, and I know, you know that, that it's very, very strategic. Uh, but, but you have to have everybody involved to make this happen. You can't just do this out of manufacturing because sales, for example, you have to have sales uh, participating in this and working with you. Uh, as an example, when I first went to Wiremold, I said, gee, you know, we're going to come in and, and uh, try and do, you know, really turn this around with lean. But one of my first questions is, you know, if I'm going to try and level load the factory through lean, what percentage of my sales ship at the last week of the month? And the answer was like 50%. I said, well, you know, that doesn't work. I can't, I can't level load the factory and still ship 50% at the end of the month. It's, it's just not possible. Uh, so, you know, why, why is it 50% at the end of the month? And in Wiremall's case, it was because of our sales terms mostly. But I think in just about any company, if you ask that question, the reason why it's like that, if, if it is, uh, is almost always something that the company did itself, its sales terms or some other thing that they did to encourage that to happen or just the way that they preferred to work. Um, and so in our case, we changed sales terms to get our customers to pay us twice a month and leveled out the, the orders that made us more efficient, that allowed us to deliver more value to them, et cetera, et cetera. Same thing is true with, with the finance group. If you, I've seen companies over and over and over try and, implement lean and stick with standard cost accounting. Uh, but it's very, very difficult to do that because standard cost accounting incentivizes most of the things you're trying to get get rid of with lean. And and as a result, you're sort of fighting yourself the whole time when you, when you try and do that. So the point is, if you think of it strategically and you understand up front, but every, if you want to do this, everything has to change. Everything that you're doing has to change. You have to get rid of the whole concept of batch. You have to, you have to have all the departments working together. Um, and then you can think about increasing your enterprise value as, as a team. And you know that's the thing I think that most people miss. They want to do it selectively over in one department and you know let everybody else keep doing what they're doing. But I can promise you that will never ever work. <laughs> yeah. Let's do this. Let's take a quick break from our sponsor, and I, I have a follow-up question to that. Okay. So, Art, before we took the sponsor break, I was telling you I had a follow-up question, um, and and it's this. Um, sometimes when staff, or maybe if you're in a unionized environment, people here grow the company double but keep the same people, and folks can get this idea of like, oh, this is just going to be drudgery for all of us that have to do the work. They're just trying to milk me you know, and, and instead, like, you know, as I've been able to go on tours, whether that's in Japan or Shingo winning organizations over here in the States, like people love doing this. They, like the fact they get to bring their brain to work instead of just, you know, do, do what the management said, like they actually get to be a part of this. It's almost like it became like a team sport to grow the organization. But I know there's a lot of folks from the outside when it first gets introduced that it feels like, oh, you guys are just going to try and put your thumb on us and grind us down and get double double the work out of us. Can you right. talk about overcoming that mindset when somebody's trying to introduce this methodology to an organization? 
Sure. Um, it, it's pretty normal for people to think that because they've done things a certain way for a long, long time, and they think it has to always be done that way. And so if you want to, you know, double, if you come in and say, I'm going to double the size of the company and keep the same people, that there's no way they can see how that might be possible, right? I mean, it's a, it's a pretty natural reaction. But if you make it clear to everybody that, look, we're not going to lay off anybody as a result of lean, and that you're all going to participate in this. I think that's the, the most, the key thing really is the, the, the lean approach that I've always followed is very participatory of, of the, the whole company because you can't do lean without teamwork. It's not an individual effort or some, you know, couple of people doing something. Uh, if, if, you know, if you have a company with, we both have a company with a thousand people and you always turn to the top, you know, 25 or 30 people, they're always involved in all the improvement ideas. And I use all thousand of my people. Over time, I'm, I'm going to I'm going to eat your lunch, right? Because I'm, I've got a lot more people contributing ideas. So, if you tell people we're not going to lay anybody off, I'm going to try and double in size with the same people, and then you start doing kaizen events. And in doing those kaizen events, you make it very, very. It's very important to make sure that half the team is hourly and half the team is salary, so that everybody's working together, and that the people in the area that you're working, some of those early people are actually on the team because if you want to improve something, the people with the best ideas are the people that have been doing the work for a while. And in most companies, unfortunately, the focus is always on make the month or make the number, whatever. It's, it's, it's not on improvement necessarily. It's just get the number, make the number. And so the employees may have been given ideas and suggestions for a lot of, a lot of years but no one's ever interested in that because they're too busy trying to make the number. Now, all of a sudden, we're saying, okay, let's take a look at this process. What do we do to improve it? What are your ideas? How are we going to remove the waste? Everybody contributes, and and voila, we start to get tremendous results, and the employees are, are, are very, very impressed with that. And, you know, one way to give you an example of this is let's say that you're a, a setup operator, and you've been setting up the same machine um, the same way for a long time. And it, and it takes you three hours to do it. So that's a lot of work. You're walking around, you're climbing up on the machine, you're climbing under the machine, you you got wrenches and screws, and you're doing all kinds of things to change this over. And we come around and we run a couple of Kaizans, which you participate on, and all of a sudden it, it only takes you one minute to do this. Well, I, I think you're going to learn pretty fast that that's a pretty good deal for you. And... <laughs> It's a pretty good deal for the company. And so, you know, you're willing to participate in the next event to help do it again. And that's what sort of gets the buy-in, I think, is the, the buy-in from people is, gee, you know, they came out here and helped me. They finally listened to me. We've made some great improvements. My job is easier. It's smoother. It's safer. Um, you know, can we do more? Can't we do more of this stuff? And that's why when you go around and see successful lean companies, you see that kind of attitude every place because people understand that, you know, when they have an idea, it's going to be listened to, that management is really involved and out on the floor and, and listening. And so it's a, a team environment. You know, everybody has to be treated equally, in my opinion. And when you do that, you overcome all this resistance. You know, and you're always going to have the resistance because people are going to say, well, gee, you know, we're, we're not Toyota, we don't make cars, or we're not this kind of company, we don't do that, it'll never work here, blah, blah, blah. The excuses are all the same excuses all the time. Um, but once you get started and, and once you get people on Kaizen teams, 
and starting to understand the benefits, uh, things change around pretty fast, I think. I love it. Well, um, I know we're about out of time for the first half of the interview here. Um, besides, you know, going to Amazon and, and getting a copy of the Lean Turnaround uh, of your book or, or the follow-up, the Lean Turnaround Action Guide, um, I you, still, you still write a bit, don't you, for the monthly column? I, yeah, I write a, kind of a monthly column for LEI. It's called Ask Art. And what we do is we, we get questions from people or we create our own questions. And then, you know, we, we give an explanation of why you should think this way or why you should think that way or all the, all the different uh, pros and cons of doing it a lean way versus a traditional batch way. And that's, and that's just lean.org, right, if people want to check that out? Uh, I'm not sure what the LEI website is. Yeah, I just I just looked it up. I'm pretty sure. Um, okay. That's great. Well, listen, everybody, please tune back in to part two of our interview. We're going to be asking Art about uh, this stuff, especially in a room that not everybody sees in the private equity space. So thanks for listening and hope you tune back in. Well, that's it for the episode. One other thing I wanted to tell you about, if you remember the guys from Convoy uh, in episodes back, Ken Free and... Trent Mano. I went on one of their CEO trips to New York and I met a guy named Brent Thompson, very successful entrepreneur. He was former CEO of Jive Communications, big uh, company now, I think three or $400 million. Anyways, he, uh, he started a new company called blipbillboards.com. I'm super stoked they're a sponsor now. But I, I remember a year and some ago when I met him, I thought it was genius. Instead of having to buy six months or a year's worth of billboard um, for thousands of dollars, you can buy eight seconds at a time for like 10 or 20 cents. You pick what billboard you want it on, what time of day you want it to run. And it just puts so much power in the hands of, of marketers and CEOs who want to try something and see if it works. You can buy as many or as few as you want, change it as many times as you want. Uh, I think now our podcast is being advertised on billboards in like 18 different states because we have these guys as sponsors. We're pretty excited about it. Hope you check out blipbillboards.com. Thanks. Hi, welcome to the Subway ad for $2.99 subs. How would you like it? Uh, I'll take Drill Sergeant, please. You got it. All right, now listen up. I want each and every one of you to drop and give me a six-inch meatball marinara, cold-cut combo, veggie delight, or black forest ham on your choice of bread with any veggies you want for just $2.99 each. Subway! Make it what you want at participating restaurants. Additional charge for extras plus applicable tax. No additional discounts or coupons may be applied.